Welcome to Scripture Uncovered, a podcast on the Bible brought to you by Logos Bible Study and LogosBibleStudy.com. Today, we're back with Dr. Creasy and his Logos travelers in Israel, where they're walking in the footsteps of Jesus. Now, time for the show. Here's your host, Dr. Bill Creasy. So we are at the Church of the Annunciation here in Nazareth. And I'd like to turn over to the Gospel according to Luke and begin with chapter 1 at verse 8. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. So Zechariah is a priest. He's of the tribe of Levi and he's of the priestly status. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both up in years. They were elderly. Now, once when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as a priest before God in Jerusalem. Zechariah and Elizabeth lived in a little village outside of Jerusalem and he's a priest. Now the job of a priest is to serve at the temple. You can only serve at the temple. There's only one in Jerusalem. And how many priests were there? Well, Zechariah is of the division of Abijah. David, when David organized the priesthood to serve at the temple that his son Solomon would build, really David's temple, he designed it, he financed it, he did everything except put one stone on another, Solomon was just the subcontractor who put it up. But David divided the priesthood into 24 divisions. The, the division of Abijah is one of them. Now, if you had priests living all over the territory because they were, in effect, pastors for the people living in the little towns and villages. But once a year, their division would serve at the temple. So if there are 24 divisions, how long would each division serve at the temple each year? Two weeks. It's like two-week reserve duty. And they would serve at the temple for two weeks. And the most important thing they would do, the job they had. In David's day, there were a thousand priests in each division. Well, gosh, a thousand years go by, how many priests are in a division? Who knows? A lot. But the key job for the priest is to offer incense before God. Because a priest, by definition, stands between the people and God and speaks to God on behalf of the people. That's why in the pre-Vatican II Roman Catholic Church, the priest had his back to the congregation and his voice projected to the tabernacle, the presence of Christ. It symbolizes that role, right? So the job of a priest is to speak to the people on behalf of God. When Zechariah is on duty, incense is burned before the Holy of Holies twice a day, morning and evening. And the priest would go in and the incense going up to God is symbolic of the prayers of the people going up to God. So the priest would go into the temple and offer the people's prayers to God. That was what he was born to do. It's much like in the Roman Catholic Church, a priest's primary job is to celebrate Mass. That's his primary job. Now imagine if you could only celebrate Mass at St. Peter's Basilica in Rome on the main altar under the Bernini Baltican. And you have priests all over the world. And 
mass would be said once a day and there was a lottery you could be a priest and you could be pastoring and caring for people out in San Diego <laughs> or or Montreal or Paris or wherever but you never got to say mass unless your number came up and you won the lottery right so think of Monsignor Richard Duncanson he'll be he's a good friend of mine he'll be with us in May on the May trip and uh, and imagine if Richard texted me and said I just won the lottery he's retiring this June and he just won the lottery and he gets to say mass for the first time in 50 years as a priest in Rome what would we do what would Bill do he'd organize a tour to Rome right <laughs> and would all sign up and would have t-shirts and everything and that's what happens with Zachariah his division was on duty he was serving as a priest before God and was chosen by lot to burn incense in the temple probably the only time in his entire life he won the lottery to do that all the worshipers were together outside praying as he walked in, as he went in all the friends all the neighbors the family everybody and they're all outside he enters the holy place for the first time the temple in Jesus day had gold-plated doors with a vine embossed across it Israel's the vine right and a golden vine you open the doors they're like two stories high and walk in he had never been inside that temple before there's a menorah to the left table of showbread to the right altar of incense in the front a big curtain separating that from the Holy of Holies and the door closed and the only light is from the menorah it's all gold-plated inside he would be in awe and he would see that altar of incense and he would heart beating approach it and right before he offered the people's prayers he had a prayer of his own to offer and as he closed his eyes and offered that prayer of his own he then opened his eyes and an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense imagine that angels not like on a Hallmark card massive awesome fearsome creatures right there well he walked in there's nobody in there there's only one way in and one way out all of a sudden there he is Zachariah nearly had a heart attack when Zachariah saw him he was startled and gripped with fear and the angel said as angels always do fear not <laughs> Zachariah your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John what was his prayer if there is any way please give me a son well he'll be a joy and a delight and many will rejoice because of his birth he will be great in the sight of the Lord he is never to take wine or other fermented drink he will be a Nazarite from birth a lifelong Nazarite a Nazarite numbers chapter 6 any person male or female can take a Nazarite vow a vow of separation to God for a period of time maybe a week a couple of weeks maybe a month when you the only thing you do is you and God it's like going on a on a silent retreat off to a monastery for two weeks just you and God and while you're there you don't drink wine you don't have your nightly Jameson you know uh, and you don't cut your hair while you're there 
or you don't shave. It's not about you looking in the mirror and doing stuff, right? You just focus on God. And when your time is over and your vow is over, you cut the hair that grew during that time and that's offered on the altar to God as a memorial offering of your time with him. So you don't shave your head. Well, I suppose people did just to be let everybody know they're pious, but that was the idea. So Zechariah is told this. And he said to the angel, how can I be sure of this? I, I'm, an, I'm an old man. And you had, have you had a look at Elizabeth lately? <laughs> you know? uh, and the angel said, yo, dude, I'm Gabriel. <laughs> I stand in the presence of God. I've been sent to speak to you. I've been sent to tell you the good news. And now you'll be silent and unable to speak until the day this happens. Not as a punishment for disbelief, but as a quiet time to process all of this and come to grips with it the magnitude of what's happening. Because it's not just the Son. The Son will be the forerunner of the Messiah. And he's going to ponder this for nine months. Meanwhile, the people outside were waiting for Zechariah. And they wondered why he was in there so long. It took a lot. He was in there a lot longer than burning incense. Maybe he dropped dead. Who knows? And they're all wondering. And when he came out, he couldn't speak to them. And they realized he had seen a vision because he was going, <sighs> something big happened in there. Well, when his time of service was completed, the two-week reserve duty, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant. And for five months, she remained in seclusion. Notice that every character in this story is plunged into silence to ponder the magnitude of the events. She said, the Lord has done this for me. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Well, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth here, a town in Galilee. So Elizabeth is six months pregnant. God said, uh, yo, Gabriel, got another message for you here. Take this down to Nazareth. So Gabriel shows up in Nazareth. Now, whether Mary's house was across the street or here, it was somewhere within the arc of the compass around Mary's well that we saw. He was sent to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. So Mary lived in Nazareth. Her family lived here. She was a girl of maybe 13, 14 years old. She was at her home. And I imagine her doing dishes in the kitchen when suddenly this awesome figure appears before her. What would she think? They're always portrayed as male figures, massive warrior-like angels. This is dangerous. She's a 13-year-old girl at home by herself, and suddenly this massive male figure is there in the house. What is the only thing she could think? Something bad is about to happen right now. Stranger danger. Stranger danger. 
The angel said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Well, Mary was greatly troubled. That is, she was scared to death at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. What's going to happen here? The angel said to her, Fear not, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. and You are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Well, Mary's still quite terrified. And she said, How will this be since I'm a virgin? She's betrothed to David. That's not engaged. It's a binding legal contract between families. The only way you can end it is through divorce. It's a binding legal contract. And she's looking forward to living with, marrying Joseph and being with him. He's another fellow up here, a carpenter working up here in Nazareth. They imagine a nice little house with a white picket fence and flowers and you know, a bunch of kids running around. How will this be? In other words, not, oh, what's the mystery here? No, she's saying, well, I'm a virgin. I intend to remain a virgin until I marry Joseph. So what are the mechanics of this? You know, how's this going to work? And this is the only time in Scripture an angel blushes. He said, well, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and the Holy One to be born will be the Son of God. Oh, you, did you know that Elizabeth, your relative, notice how I changed the subject, <laughs> is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to uh, be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God uh, will ever fail. You know, God can do this. He did with Elizabeth, and uh, don't worry about it. I never understood how that worked. What are the mechanics of this, right? How, did it, how, how is the virginal conception possible? We were diving in the Egyptian Red Sea back, I don't know, 2008 or 9. Uh, we did that every, every summer. We made a trip to the Red Sea, a dive trip. And uh, I took usually 15 to 20 people with me, and we chartered a boat, and it was a lot of fun. But uh, it, the Red Sea is gorgeous. My favorite place in all the world to dive. And we've dived all over the world. But the water is 85 degrees. Visibility is unlimited. It's like liquid crystal. And I remember a dive in the afternoon, about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and we went out in the Zodiac off the boat and then rolled off the side and dropped down. Now, when you drop down, you don't wear all this lead and everything. I'll teach you to dive. You'll know how. You get horizontal like a skydiver, and you just control your descent all the way down. And the bottom was coming up beautiful. And as we're going down about, about 100 feet or so, I noticed the sun beams shining through the water. And I turned and looked up, and you can see the sunbeams shining all the way down through. When I went off the Zodiac, I punched a hole in the water and dropped down through the water column. The sun came right through the water and never disturbed the water. That's the Virgil conception. That's the image of it. Well, Gabriel waits for an answer because Mary did not have to do this. And she knew that if she became pregnant by somebody other than Joseph, 
Deuteronomy 22, if a virgin, if a man meets a virgin in a town who is betrothed to another and she becomes pregnant, you're to take both of them to the town gate and stone them to death. This is a tiny village of 200 people. Everybody knows everything. If you've grown up in a little town, everybody knows everything. Joseph would have every right to go before the town elders and have her stoned to death. And every little girl would know this. She knew it. Between verses 37 and 38, there's a pregnant pause. <laughs> As Gabriel waits. St. Bernard of Clairvaux wrote a series of sermons on the Annunciation. And he said, between verses 37 and 38, all the angels of heaven lined up on the battlements and they all took a collective <gasps> and waited for her answer. And she said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left. And all the angels on the battlements of heaven went, <laughs> because if she had said no, cancel Christmas. It's not coming. <laughs> so, you know, we think of, of Mary and, and her, her faith in making this response, and it was a response of great faith. I think, personally, that it was a much greater response of courage because she knew, she knew what would happen. Everybody's going to find out about this. She had to tell Joseph. And what happens? We read in Matthew, Joseph had, did not want to shame her. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. He had to have been heartbroken. He, he, he wouldn't understand this at all. And she certainly couldn't stay here in this little town because pretty soon everybody's going to know that she is, is an unmarried pregnant teenager in the Middle East 2,000 years ago. She couldn't stay here. So where did she go? She went to her relative, her elder relative, Elizabeth, in a little village outside of Jerusalem, all by herself, with her little blue suitcase, <laughs> a pregnant teenager walking 90 miles, all by herself. Her life as she knew it was over. She imagined she would never see Joseph again. She would never see her family again. She would never see any of these people again. What can I do? The only person she could go to was Elizabeth because Elizabeth is part of the plan. She's the only one who would understand. And Mary goes there. And three months pass until the birth of John. You wonder what the two of them talked about, Mary and Elizabeth. But somewhere along the way, Elizabeth convinced her to come back, come back to Nazareth, and she did. Joseph didn't know where she went. He was heartbroken the whole time. I imagine one night, three months later, he was sitting at his armchair, a chair that he had made perhaps. He had a nice Jameson with him, and he was still heartbroken, and he nodded off. And when he nodded off, the angel Gabriel came in a dream and filled him in on the plan. And he woke up. Oh my God, 
I, I've, I've lost her. I don't even know where she went. Oh, what am I going to do? Oh, knock on the door. He opened it. There's Mary with a little blue suitcase, pregnant. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to have been a fly on the wall when she went in? The hankies came out. They hugged each other. Oh, what a story. And, and it could well have been at that little house across the street or here or somewhere within 10-minute walk. This Church of the Annunciation remembers the story. Notice out here all the mosaics from different countries. There are more mosaics inside. Uh, there's a lower church that will go in here, and then the upper church, which we'll go to. And the upper church are more mosaics, including the U.S. and Mexico, uh, and Japan. That's my favorite one of all of them. Japan is up top. So Isaac will take us in. Uh, and he'll give us some guiding in there and a little bit of free time and off we go. Okay, thank you. You've been listening to Scripture Uncovered, brought to you by Logos Bible Study and LogosBibleStudy.com. Visit LogosBibleStudy.com to learn more about studying online, in live classes, and traveling with Dr. Creasy and Logos Bible Study. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon.